Anderson with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Top Edge Podcast for another week. You're once again joined by Callum and Rory as we break down all the cricket from the last week or so. Over the next hour we've got Big Bash, Indian Tour, World Cup squads and of course the Rashid Khan news. But before we move on to that, make sure you're following the podcast on social media at Top Edge Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you've got a question, hit up our inbox at the Top Edge Podcast at gmail.com. Now that's out of the way though, Callum, how's everything going this morning? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Um, yeah, it's been a, been a busy week in, in cricket. Um, I haven't quite been able to keep up with it as well as I usually would. Um, I, I, I started a new job as well, so I've um, been doing a bit of that, but but been been catching highlights when I can, and um, it's been good. It's been very good. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of cricket around at the moment, um, and a lot of it's not on uh, at great time zones for us, so... Yeah, not ideal. The South African competition, they, their game started at 2.30 in the morning, our time. So probably the worst time zone in, in the world. Uh, where should we start? We'll start with the test. The test documentary was uh, released this week. Jess uh, from Edge of the Crowd was at the premiere. There's a bunch of videos on social media with all that stuff. Interviews with Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, Hannah Darlington. Uh, who else have I missed there? Kawaja. Kozman Kawaja, of course. Can't forget Kawaja. The directors, I think. The yeah, and a couple of the directors. Yeah. So a bunch of interviews there. Go check those out. Uh, I haven't finished it, watching it all, neither is Callum. So we'll we'll talk about that next week once we have finished it. Uh, from what I've seen so far, though, it's pretty good. Um, I'm a little bit disappointed it's only four episodes, though. So it's only like a three-hour uh, like three hour show altogether. It's just a little bit short for my liking. I feel like a, a year of cricket probably could have been spread out to, I don't know, maybe eight episodes rather than just four. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I guess, you know, it's just a matter of how much footage you can get um, with regards to the behind-the-scenes things. You know, cricket's still fairly secretive, so um, there's there's definitely an element of that. But, um, yeah, no, there's definitely some really interesting interviews. Yeah, absolutely, and, and the downfall of Tim Payne and Justin Langer both in in that uh, documentary, so well worth uh, a watch. Uh, on to my cricket from the weekend. Played yesterday, a loss. Uh, that's not important. And what was important, there was a fight, essentially. Um, the umpire, uh, one of the opposition players called one of the umpires, a, uh, I don't know, Tom fuck off, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the umpire did not respond all that well. Um, and then it was kind of a, it was all on. Uh, thankfully, no one hurt, nothing like that. But yeah, not what you want to really see on the cricket field. No, yeah. Wow. Um, it's kind of surprising. You expect an umpire to, you know, probably get that reasonably often. Um, not that they <laughs> ought to, but you'd expect them to. Um, and yeah, I guess okay, yeah, kicking an incident off after that, that's, that's kind of wild. You should yeah. have you should have written a story about it, you know? <laughs> a few too many big egos on a, on a hot day, I think, and that's, yeah, just got the better of people. Thankfully, uh, it didn't affect the game going on too much afterwards, though, so it was all good. Uh, move on to some proper cricket. That's the big bash right now, the competition. I think it's doing better than most people probably think. Uh, the big bash is is good. Um, it's always been good, in my opinion. I don't think there's any, uh, like, the death of the big bash has been overly exaggerated, I think. Uh, um, the competition's been really good. Last night's game was uh, one of the better ones as well. Uh the Renegades got over the top of the of the Stars. Uh, the Stars, I think they needed 17 off 17 towards the end, and then they just fell away, a bit like they did in the final. I think that was 2018. 
uh, kind of a, a similar match. And then they Fox Cricket, if you watch Fox Cricket instead of seven, they had Aaron Finch mic'd up for the whole game and he was uh, genius, really. His, the way he captained that team was was incredible and it sh- pretty much showed how Australia won a T20 World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Aaron Finch is always really lis- um, interesting to listen to. And it's also just impressive, like, how he can change his focus. He can be like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. lads, you know, I think I feel good about our chances. Oh, yeah, move, move, mid or forward. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And then, he, yeah, and I think, and I'm just very impressed with the fact that he can, you know, do, do both of those at once. Um, I think it just speaks to how naturally the captaincy comes to him. Or, or, you know, the leadership role, I suppose, comes to him. Um, he just he just understands kind of tactically where to put people, um, what kind of bowling to do to particular batsmen and that sort of thing. He obviously does his homework and he he's very, you know, well acquainted with what various players do and that sort of thing. And he's able to adjust during match situations as well because, you know, Joe Clark was going pretty hard and, you know, they had to break that up and they've managed to. And, um, yeah, it was just very, um, very impressive tactical insight yeah the, the stuff to joe clark in particular was interesting because he you know clark was really the only batter that got on a roll uh finch knowing you know what shot you're you're able to give up so not having like a deep mid get out because joe clark's good at the ramp shot and you know allowing clark to take that risk or later on when he was going a bit better bringing those fielders behind uh the keeper up so clark would have to take the risk of the ramp shot that kind of thing uh it's just the insight there was was excellent uh, there was a couple of uh, another big story that came out of that game, and that's the roof at Marvel. For some reason, on a thirty-seven degree day in Melbourne, they decided to have the roof shut. Didn't make a lot of sense to me, but they did. Uh, and then the Stars batters proceeded to hit it twice. Uh, and of course, it's six runs now when you hit the roof. Previously, it was a dead ball. Uh, I think Aaron Finch hit the roof, and then they changed the rule. Now it seems they're going to change it back because it just didn't seem right. That you know, I think it was Joe Clark hit it once, and then it was another batter that hit another time. I think it might have been Bo Webster. The ball essentially went straight up. Where with the Aaron Finch ones, it was it would have gone for six. These ones would not go for six. They would have been caught if the roof wasn't there. So yeah, cricket with a roof, it's great if it's raining. I just don't think it was probably necessary yesterday with thirty seven degrees in Melbourne. No, yeah, I mean they've played in Melbourne in hotter conditions before. Hmm. Um, Look, I understand it um, from a welfare perspective and that sort of thing. Um, I think with regards to the hitting the roof and it being a six or it being a dead ball or something like that, um, we've got pretty good ball tracking technology in cricket. Yeah. So a potential way to do that would just be go case by case and go, this one was going over the fence. Yeah. This one was coming back into play. We'll make that a dead ball. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. The, the tracking technology is there. Why not? Why not use it? Use technology for literally everything else in the game. Uh, let's have a look at the table, though, before we move on to some other stuff. The Scorchers up the top, no surprise there. They always are. Eight wins from their 10 games, just the two losses, won the last three in a row. Uh, the Sixers, the Renegades, and the Strikers are all kind of five or six wins. The uh, Sitting Thunder, kind of five wins. They're doing a little, a little bit better than they were previously. Hurricanes and the Heat and the Stars are rounding out the table, though. But with four games to go for most teams, five for a couple uh, anyone can still make the finals, which is which is always good to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we spoke about it last week, and um, not much has changed in regards to um, there's those top two top tier teams. Then yeah. there's a bunch that could theoretically get into the finals, and that that's really exciting, and that makes war. You know, that keeps the tournament engaging. Um, what big bashes in the past have kind of suffered from is kind of being foregone conclusions. You're like, oh, they're playing another few league games, but this team's going to make it. This team's not going to make it, and that sort of thing. Um, whereas this year it's not really been the case and 
you know, you maybe look at teams like the Stars, for example, um, and you think, oh, well, maybe they won't do very well. They were very competitive against the Renegades, and they very nearly got the win, you know. It was only a 6-1 run win for the Renegades in that game. And, um, you know, it, it could have gone either way. It was just um, a matter of, a you know, a couple of deliveries. Yeah, that's right. It's it's all really tight at the moment, and I think uh, any team's gonna, any team can make it. Uh, I think the Scorchers are probably primed for the win, though they they just clearly look the best team, and now that they can play in Perth again, have gone to another level as well. So, yeah, it, I think the Scorchers and the Sixers once again probably the two best teams probably make the final, uh, and then the Scorchers win it. That's that's that would be my prediction. Um, in other news, the Australian players are all back: Nathan Lyon and Steve Smith for the Sixers. Marnus, Gawaja and Renshaw for the Heat. Uh, Thunder get David Warner, of course. Strikers with Carey and Head and the Scorchers, Morris, Agar and Cam Green. Cam Green probably won't play, I don't think. Uh, but in other news, there's also a bunch of exits, right? With the, the South, uh, South Africa T20 competition, also the one in Dubai, there's probably, I'd suggest, bigger names leaving. So Alex Hales and Rousseau are gone. James Vince, Chris Jordan, Naveen Al-Huck. Uh, Chris Lynn, Rashid Khan, Sam Billings, Colin Munro, Faf Duplessis and Adam Lythe, Trent Bolt, uh, Majib, Akil Hussain, Jimmy Neesham and Shadab Khan. Uh, there might be some big ins there, but I'd suggest the outs are probably more important for those teams. Yeah, I mean, especially considering, you know, a lot of those players have been, you know, in or around the lineup for the first several games of the Big Bash. Yep. And, you know, doesn't matter kind of who you get in as a replacement unless they're like a like for like change there's going to be some adjustment because you, you don't have the same player um they haven't been integrated with the with the team with the system you know kind of what's been going on so there's definitely going to be some adjustments but that does also add an element of excitement you know who is going to come in uh, what's going to happen could they actually change the fortunes of how these last few games go and that sort of thing so you know there is there is some positives to it but yeah it's just it's just unfortunate that there's so many competitions happening at the same time yeah i, I think there's three names in particular that are, are bad news for the big bash and that's alex hales james vince and sam billings they're three players that have played pretty much every game of the last five or six big bashes and now as soon as there's a bit more money on the on the table they leave and uh go play in south africa or in dubai and i think that's probably not great for the big bash Obviously, they're shorting the season. That might help in a couple of years. But in a couple of years' time, it might be too late. Uh, the competition could have already been on its knees because from what I've seen of that South African competition, it looks really good. Um, it looks just as exciting as the IPL. The players are just as good. Uh, I suggest the TV product's better and the crowds are having a lot more fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, the South African League looks really good, which is good for cricket. Not all that good for the Big Bash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Or, or probably test cricket, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Chris Lynn as well. He's moving to uh, Dubai for the International League T20. After 11 games, he's what, in the top run scorers for the tournament, uh, doing pretty well. The strikers, you know, he was he's impl- uh, instrumental in that strikers lineup. And now he disappears. You know, Cricket Australia found $300,000 uh, kind of in the couch somewhere to pay David Warner but they can't do the same for Chris Lynn, who's arguably been the best player in the Big Bash over its history, uh, one of the most exciting players, and now he's disappearing just as it gets to the pointy end of the season. Yep, yep. It's, um, you know, I think it's just a reflection on how kind of badly treated Chris Lynn was in the whole thing. You know, there was a question of if he played the Big Bash at all. Hmm. And, you know, he's he's played this year and he's 
played fantastically. <laughs> and yeah. that's kind of not really surprised anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, quality cricketers, you know, maybe, maybe that they'll have dips and form as we mentioned, but, you know, they'll always come good when it, when, you know, when the time comes for them, you know, he was put under a bit of pressure and a new team, that sort of thing, answered it perfectly. And, you know, now he's going to go on Dubai, he's going to go be an asset over there and um, he's going to be pretty badly missed over here. Yeah, that's right. It, it disappointing from Cricket Australia to not have the foresight to see that could have been the case. Um, we'll look at the top run scorers and wicket takers. Matt Short and Chris Lynn at the top of the run scorers, 418 and 416 each. Joe Clark there as well, less said about him the better. Josh Inglis and then Colin Munro uh, round out the top five. Pretty big names, a couple of those leaving, uh, so not ideal, but uh, the strike rates are all really good as well. I think that's the most important thing. 130 is the lowest with Joe Clark, and then 160 for Josh Inglis, who well, I haven't watched a lot of Scorchers games because they're not on great times. Obviously, with Perth, it's a little bit later, uh, and sometimes you just don't get the luck of the draw of, of being available for every night of the Scorchers. But Inglis is, you know, he's... You know, one of the best batters in the competition. Looks like he's probably going to sew up that uh, T20 spot for Australia now with Matthew Wade. I think, what, 36 years old now. World Cup's another year and a half away. Probably not taking him uh, to the Caribbean. The other interesting thing about Inglis is that he's played two less innings in those top three. Hmm. But he has comfortably the best average in the top five. Um, so I think it just goes to show um, how big of an impact he can have on the innings. You know, he comes in, he plays really positively. He maybe doesn't make huge scores. Like, he makes good scores. He makes over 50 quite consistently. But, you know, he maybe doesn't make a, make a huge score that's as eye-popping as maybe those top three have. However, he just consistently has a huge huge impact. And I think, you know, when you look at teams that are successful, and the Scorchers have certainly been very successful, it's players like that that make the difference. Yeah, so only well, Chris Lynn has three scores over 50. Matt Short has three scores over 50. And then so does Josh Inglis. So it's, it's that consistency that's important, uh, especially in the Scorchers side that's, you know, missing, missing Marsh and uh, Cameron Green's not coming back and Ashton Agar wasn't there. So uh, there was lost a little bit of experience, but uh, yeah, Inglis really stood up. He's batting at four though, which concerns me a little bit. I'd like to see him either open or bat at seven because that's where the spots are for the Australian team. Uh, I don't think there's what well, there's Glenn Maxwell at four, Steve Smith's in there at four. Like there's a bunch of Tim David, even there's a bunch of players in and around that spot that I just don't think Inglis will ever break into the Australian team batting there. So if you want to prove you want to play for the Australian team, I think much like you have to do in Shield cricket if you want to play Test cricket, you've got to bat in the position you want to have in the te- uh, in the T20 team. Yeah, I think the thing about the Scorchers is that they do it tactically. They want him to come in at four and have that impact. And, you know, because he's so consistent, it's good to have a player come in. If he lose a couple of wickets, he can go and he can do it and that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, it's probably is good for his career. And probably at, at this point in the tournament, they can probably risk trying him um, as an opener and see how any of that goes. Because I think he's got the talent to it. He's pretty good against the new ball. Um, and I think, you know, being able to navigate through that first power play is really important in T20 cricket. And if Inglis can prove that he can provide the same quality at that position, then that's that bodes very well for his career. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the opening position is probably where he'll settle up. Um, Tim, they can probably slide Tim David to seven or something like that and just have him float up the order as needed in the Australian team. Uh, and, you know, Finch, we're not sure if he's done in T20 cricket or not. And then Warner's the other one. So potentially both of them don't make it at the next World Cup. Who knows? 
So yeah, that's where English should be batting. I think he's he did it before, right? Like uh, the Scorchers used to open with him in Livingston, so it's not a, yeah. a foreign uh, concept to him. On to the wicket takers, though. Scorchers at the top again. AJ Ty, 20 wickets. Uh, Tom Rogers, mostly backed up by five for and a four for there. He's on 19. Luke Wood, who's been a, a very good import for the Stars. He's got 17. Henry Thornton hasn't really taken anything recently. Uh, he's on 16. And then Sean Abbott, competition leading wicket taker of all time with 16 as well. So some pretty consistent names there in in, Roger, uh, in Ty and Abbott. Rogers, relatively new, had a good season last year as well. And then Luke Wood and Thornton, pretty new players as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, good to see Luke Wood. Um, mm. I, I know you and I were very um, questioning um, about his selection in the draft and that sort of thing. Um, you know, we kind of thought it was a symptom of, oh, he'll be around for the whole time. So I guess, you know, it makes sense. It's a safe pick, that sort of thing. It's proven to be more than a safe pick. It's been a very wise pick. He's been very good. He's played really well on Australian pitches. And um, he's... he's Another one of those T20 bowlers who's not afraid to change things up if he needs to take a wicket. And that's, you know, that's really important. And, you know, on a team that's been battling, he's he's really been a been a shining a shining star, pardon the pun. Yeah, uh, he's been very good. I think my concerns around Luke Wood were that the stars said they picked him as kind of a bowling all-rounder where Luke Wood has made something like eight runs for the season. Uh, and his T20 record is pretty average, average is seven or something like that. So... Uh, if they picked him as an all-rounder, probably a fail, but he's done brilliant with the ball. So, yeah, a, a good pickup, good international signing, and and one that the the stars obviously did some homework on to to know that he would perform well, especially on Australian pitches. He gets a, plenty of bounce, and he's quite quick as well. Uh, England have plenty of talent uh, on the sidelines, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, man, England's um just depth of of quality both in batting and in bowling is quite impressive it's just a matter of being able to put it all together at the right time because sometimes they end up trying to mix things up or they don't mix things up and it just kind of backfires for them yeah that's it i think that they'll be very strong in the next t20 world cup next odi world cup and you know the ashes are potentially theirs as well because their test cricket's also looking very good uh we'll move on to test cricket though and that is the indian tour both sides have now named their squads for that four-test series that starts in about a month's time. Uh, I'll go through the Australian one first. Pat Cummins, obviously the captain. Ashton Agar, Scott Boland, Alex Carey, Cameron Green, Peter Hanscom, Josh Hazelwood, Travis Head, Osman Kawaja, Manus, Labashane, Nathan Lyon, Lance Morris, Todd Murphy, Matt Renshaw, Steve Smith, Mitch Stark, and Mitch Swepson, and, of course, David Warner. Uh, the surprises for me, Lance Morris still being there doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They're not going to use Lance Morris in India. Uh, they just don't need that many pace bowlers. Um, Michael Neese is also not there. Potentially, if they wanted another pace bowler, you'd pick someone who could also bat a little bit. Neese might be the option there, but they're not using that. Uh, Todd Murphy, obviously a little bit of a surprise, but not really if you've been paying attention. Uh, like a lot of outlets describe him as a bolter. That's just incorrect. Todd Murphy was probably always going to come to India. Uh, Ashen Agar also there. He didn't bowl well in Sydney, but we'll go through why he has to play in a second. Scott Boland, I think they've the Australian selectors are very conservative and they just want to keep picking the same players. Scott Boland and Lance Morris are not going to play in India. There's no chance of it happening. They've got, you know, Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood there. And all three of those aren't even going to play at the same time. So they'll rotate through them in four tests. I think they've brought Morris in case Stark gets hurt. 
I think that's the idea. Morris is kind of the closest thing to Stark we've got in that squad in terms of yeah. the pace. Um, not quite the swing, but you know he, he he's he, he's he's a wild thing. I know we we don't want to compare him to Tate and that sort of thing, but you know, in terms of the impact on the squad and that sort of thing, that's what he'll have. And that's kind of I think that's the logic behind taking him. I don't fully see the logic in taking Boland because Hazelwood. Hazelwood, Cummins, and Boland in Test cricket are all effectively the same bowler. They're very good at what they do. That's good Test bowling. But, you know, in India, where it may not necessarily seem as much, there's not as much value as there is in Australia or in New Zealand or in England. So, you know, um, it's cool for Boland. It's, It's fun having him, you know, come round. But I just don't... Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see him playing. Um, I, I, I see um, Agar probably playing at least the first test um, for reasons that you've extensively gone into. You can look at that on edgeofthecrowd.com. And um, I think, you know, if they're going to try out a bowler that they haven't tried before, they're going to try Todd Murphy um, because the, it spins in India and it's really good to see what, you know, younger spin bowlers can do. Because, you know, I mean, it feels like we've been saying this for years, but Lion's not going to go on forever. Yeah, well, we keep saying it, but he seems to continue going on forever. So we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, Murphy's definitely, he's the next bowler for Australia, uh, next full-time bowler. I think Mitch Swepson and Ashton AR can do jobs in uh, the conditions that suit them, but I just don't think they're consistent enough, uh, as we've kind of seen with in Sri Lanka and Pakistan with Swepson, and then in Sydney with Agar. Admittedly, that's only one test, but... Uh, we know he's not a you know he's not a test bowler. He's not going to hit that spot every time. Where Todd Murphy and Nathan Lyon do hit that spot every time. That's what they're in the team for. Uh, and then of course you've got you know Travis Head and Marnus who also will chip in uh, with the ball. Travis Head over the last couple of years averages seventeen with the ball. So uh, I think he he'll get a good run uh, with the ball if not with the bat because I don't think he'll do too well over in India. Uh, the other surprise for me was that Peter Hanscom I think is essentially the backup wicketkeeper. Uh, they haven't picked another one. No Josh Inglis in the squad. I guess if it ha- if an injury happens between tests or Alex Carey gets COVID or gets sick or whatever, uh, they could fly Inglis out uh, if that was what was required. But if something happens during the game, uh, Peter Hanskin will likely take the gloves. Yeah. And that's fine. Hanskin's okay as a wicketkeeper. He's not the best, but he's not terrible. So that's fine. You know, it's good to have that option. Um, and I think Hanscom probably looks at that and goes, this is an extra asset I have. Yeah. I probably need to emphasize it if people ask me questions. Yeah, I can keep. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, that's fine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, anything to get into the team. And I, I understand it. Um, I'm kind of hoping Hanscom plays regardless because I think he's really good against spin. Um, I think he was pretty hard done by when he got dropped in the first place. So I think he has a point to prove. And um, I think if he has a good series in India, then he has a chance of kind of having a more consistent spot in um, that red ball team. Yeah, I'd be bringing Hanscom in for Renshaw in terms of the, the team from Sydney. The only issue for Hanscom, I think, is that there's no, you know, there's no warm-up games in India before the series. So he's not going to be able to show how good he is against spin. And probably more importantly for Hanscom, show how bad other batters in the Australian team are against spin. Um, if Travis Head had, you know, three first-class games in India before playing this test series, I don't think he would make it through uh, to the tests. So, you know, yeah, unlucky for Hanscom that the schedules just don't allow that. 
Uh, it also depends on how they do in, in the limited amount of shield games they have before they go as well. Uh, Pete Hanscom obviously leading the shield, averaging what, 87, 600 runs already from six games. So he's in a pretty good spot, I think. And Renshaw, also very good. I think he's more there as the backup opener, though, with Aris uh, no longer in the side. And that's we've been pushing for that for, for a long time. Um, Hanscom being in the squad, though, also means that we don't have to think like we did during the T20 World Cup, well, which of the batters can keep a little bit. Is Glenn Maxwell going to take the gloves if, you know, if Wade was out for the World Cup, that kind of thing? We don't have to worry about it. Uh, he can keep, admittedly, not not great. He hasn't done it in a little while, but the skills will still be there. Uh, you mentioned it, though. Let's have a look at why Ashton Agar has to play over uh, Todd Murphy or Mitch Swepson. So we all know the Indian pitchers spin. They spin a long way, and they spin, uh, they've been spinning more and more over the last few years as India try to use... Uh, what is their greatest strength, I think, in, in Ashwin and, and Axar Patel uh, as much as possible. And you, you can't begrudge teams for doing that. That's, you know, Australia does the same thing. That's why the Gabba uh, pitch seemed eight metres on on uh, day one. So left arm spin, that's the most important one to look at, though, with Agar, obviously, the left arm spinner in there. Left arm spin over the last couple of years since 2020 in India has averaged 18 with the ball compared to right arm spin with 23 admittedly, you know, Axar Patel was a big part of that. He averages something like 14, uh, sorry, 12. It is 12.43 with the ball. Uh, but there's also, you know, uh, the New Zealand spinner, what's his name? Oh, Ajas Patel. No, Ajas Patel. Oh, yeah, yeah. He took a 10 for, so that kind of skews the numbers a little bit as well. Uh, yeah. But then there's also Ashwin. He averages 14 and he skews the right arm numbers. So, you know, both of those things go the same way. And India just has uh, great spin, uh, great spin bowls, but if you look at the numbers there, left arm spin is more effective in India than right arm spin. You've also already got a right arm spinner in Lyon. Do you want to take the risk of having another one in Swepson? And if you look at these lists as well, there's literally no leg spinners on the list. Uh, I think the only ones caught it Yadav and he played, what, one test at the end of 2022 and took two wickets, an average of 20.5. You know, good enough for one test, but it's really left arm off spin that's taking all the wickets in India at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I think another um player who skews the numbers who's in the Indian squad is um Ravindra Jadeja. Yeah. He has a fantastic record in India in terms of his bowling. Um and the other thing that Jadeja adds is he's he's good enough to be like a top order batter. Yeah. Um so having, you know, India often play, you know, Ashwin and Jadeja and they're both pretty good with the bat, so they, you know, bat eight or nine deep. <laughs> Um, so there's there's definitely that element to, to worry about. But yeah, if you play Agar, um, then you know, some of those Indian players, you know, the, the right handers who are further down the order, don't face a lot of left arm orthodox. Yeah. Um, so they probably won't be as comfortable um as comfortable taking it on. Um, maybe a little bit of Axar being in the team might mitigate that, but you know, I think it's worth giving Agar a go. And um, it's worth seeing what he can do with, you know, his extra bounce. Um, he's got a pretty consistent motion. He doesn't have a consistent point in which he lands it, which you mentioned already. Yeah. But he's got a consistent motion. Um, he's kind of indefatigable. You know, it doesn't matter if he gets hit or if he's being blocked out. He'll just go for the same same kind of strategy. Yeah. And um, he's, he's an excellent fielder, which yes. um, I think is very important in India. Not just an excellent fielder, but also... Uh, a good enough batter as well, averages like 30 in first-class cricket, which, you know, Australia struggles in India. Everyone struggles in India. Bat their batting average over there is like 22 over the last few years compared to something like 30 across the rest of the world. Uh, across the whole innings, that's almost 100 runs, right? So if you can somehow bring that average up a little bit, 
get scores of 300 rather than 200, that changes the game completely for you. Axar Patel and Ashton Agar are also very similar bowls, very similar heights, similar actions, uh, and also, you know, both bad a bit. Agar, probably a better fielder. Um, Judeja, obviously an interesting one. I think, as you mentioned, the batting is important there. That's probably the only thing that's going to keep him in the team because uh, Axar Patel has kind of taken that spot as the, the left arm left arm spinner. Uh, but yeah, Judeja, Ashwin, Patel, it's a, going to be difficult for Australia on those spinning tracks. Uh, that's for sure. No Adam Zamper in the squad, though. That was an interesting one for me. Uh, it kind of looked like Cricket Australia was pushing for Agar, uh, for Zamper, sorry, to be included in this squad. You know, they made him play the Shield game beforehand. He did pretty well there. Uh, there was a lot of talk in the media that, you know, Zampa might be on this tour. But they picked four spinners and he's not one of them. And he, I think he rightly said he was disappointed. You know, six weeks ago, it looked like he was going to be on this tour. This was going to be his chance at Test Cricket. He's the best white ball bowler probably in the world, especially like best uh, best leg spin bowler in the world. And he's not given the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think part of that may be what you mentioned in terms of finger spins the way go in India versus wrist spin. But Zamp is one of those players who can can change up kind of the, the way he bowls to almost like simulate the effect of a finger spinner. He's that kind of level of talent. So, I mean, it could have been interesting to bring him, but I think ultimately his long-term first-class record just isn't really good enough. Like, if you look at Murphy's record next to Zamba's record, you go, you're going to take Murphy every time in the Red Bull, right? So that's the um, that, that's the, the long-term situation of it. But he, he's disappointed, and there was a lot of, you know, talk about him coming into the team and that sort of thing. And I guess if there was ever a time to try it, now would probably be the time. But another point that you quite rightly mentioned is the Australian side is a conservative and they're not going to take a risk like that. Yes. Yeah. I think that's definitely the case. It's, it's a lot of uh, conservatism in these picks, but you know, disappointing for Zampa. I'm, I don't think he'll play in the shield game. I think if this was his chance to kind of make the team, I think it might be similar with Glenn Maxwell. Uh, this is kind of their last chances to get picked for a test tour. And if it's not happening now, it's probably not going to happen ever. So time to move on, focus on the white ball stuff where, you know, both of them do their best work. Uh, onto the Indian squad, they've picked squads for the first two tests, as you do if you're the home side. Uh, Rohit Sharma, KL Rahul, Shubman Gill, Pajara, Kohli, Shreyas Iyer, KS Bharat, Inishan, Kishan are the keepers. Uh, Ashwin, Aksar Patel, Kordip Yadav is there. Jadeja, as he said, Mohammed Shami, Mohammed Suraj, Usman uh, Umish Yadav, uh, Yadav Undercat, and Surakuma Yadav. That's the big one, the last name there. An interesting selection, uh, kind of, you know, he's in the best T24 in the world, hit another 100 last week. Uh, he's up to three T20-100s in like six months. That's just international cricket. Uh, One-day cricket, he's also in good form. But test cricket, as of yet, unseen. Uh, there will be also a debut for one of the keepers, Barat or Kishan, because obviously Richard Pant had a car accident and he's not playing. Uh, hopefully plays again at some point, but it will be a little while before that's the case. Yeah. Um... Strong team, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they got three excellent pace bowlers. They got four pretty strong spinners. Um, they got, you know, Gil, who's very talented. Pujara's back in form. Coley will feel he has a point to prove, and he's one of the best players in the world. Um, yeah, it's a scary-looking team. Um, I'm interested to see if um, Surya Yadav plays. Um, yeah. I think that will be... 
probably one of the most entertaining things that's happened in test cricket for a while. So I'm very much hoping he does, and I'm hoping he does well. Not too well, because I still want Australia to win, yeah. but I'm I'm hoping he makes a good show of himself. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting, right? I, I think India are trying to basketball Australia here, picking, you know, uh, Surakumar Yadav and even Ishan Kishan. You know, they're both T20 specialists, really. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably the only source of... Uh, I don't know, anxiety for if you're an Indian fan, that's probably the only place where you're a little bit worried which keeper they go with. But apart from that, that team looks very strong. Um, I'm not sure where Surakumar Yadav would bat, though. Obviously, no, there's no Indian first-class cricket watching going on on this podcast. That would be a little bit too intense. He averages 44.75 with the bat first-class cricket, 1,400. So very good numbers there. Um, not really surprised. You know, he's a talented batter, and that usually translates... Uh, to all forms, even like Aaron Finch averages 40 in, in first-class cricket. Um, just because it didn't work at test level doesn't mean they're not good red ball players. I don't see how he fits into the team, though. Probably a middle-order player, I would think. Uh, and, you know, you've got Pajara there, who's who was out of the team for a little while, but found some more form, uh, hit some hundreds as of late. But then you've got Coley, Shreyas Iyer there as well, KL Rahul in the middle. Uh, he could also keep, I guess he could take the gloves as well, KL Rahul. So there's plenty of options for India, and I just don't see how Surakumar Yadav makes the team, at least in the first couple of, of tests. If there's a failure a little bit later on, maybe in the back half, but to start with, I'm not too sure he gets a game. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, in terms of who takes the gloves, I think they'd give it to Kishan, just because he has a little bit of experience, not in red ball, but just in general. Yeah. Um, and he's probably the more known name of the two. Um and India is quite big into um, reputation of players. Um, so, you know, having players who are developing a reputation, any opportunity to enhance their reputation is really good. And it's a really good opportunity for Ishan Kishan, if he does play, um, to show that he can he can do it at, at every level. Yeah, I'd agree. That's the way I'd go. Uh, the only advantage I think uh, Barrett has is that he's kept in a test match before. I think it was... In England, uh, one of the keepers gone down. It might have been Pant, I guess, who went down and, and then Barat took the gloves because he's essentially been the second week keeper on tour for a long time now. But he's also almost 30 years old and Ishan Kishan, uh, 24. So, and he seems to be, you know, the bigger talent there in terms of with the bat. And that's kind of how you pick keepers now, right? Just who bats the best. Uh, Kishan averages almost 40 in first class cricket. Uh, yeah, and a strike rate of, of 70. So, you know, plays that counter-attacking kind of keeping innings. So it's interesting. I'm not sure where the where the bowlers fit out, who, like, I guess you take two pace bowlers in, probably Mohamed Shami and Mohamed Siraj, and then you try to fill up with Aksar and, and uh, Jadeja and Ashwin. That's probably the three spinners I'd go with. I don't think Kordik quite breaks into that team yet. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I think it's possible they bring Yadav over Siraj. Yadav is yep. more experienced and has an excellent record in um in India. Um, one thing that Umesh Yadav can do, which seems like nobody else can do in India, is swing it. Yeah, it's kind of incredible. Um, he's also a nice influence on the team. You know, he he's a very much team guy. He hypes everyone up. He's always smiling and that sort of thing. So I think you know it's helpful having a player like that in the team as well. Um. But, you know, Siraj is definitely quite quite an interesting talent as a pace bowler and one of those that looks like he could maybe do it around the world. Um, so it, it'll, it'll be interesting um, seeing what India's team in the first test is. 
Um, but, you know, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, definitely. There's plenty of, just as we said with England before, there's plenty of uh, depth in Indian cricket. Uh, I think Umesh Yadav is also the quicker of the two. Uh, he can get the ball around 150, where I don't think Siraj can quite do that. Uh, we'll move on to women's cricket, though, in the Australian Women's World Cup squad, as well as the squad for Pakistan. Three ODIs and three T20s against Pakistan. Only two of those happening on a weekend, though, which is uh, incredibly disappointing to me. They're starting this series on a Monday. That makes no sense. Um, I know it's you know still summer. Some people are still on holidays, all that kind of thing. But if they want women's cricket to be the spectacle that it needs to be, you've got to have it in front of fans, essentially. You know, bring the fans to the game, bring the game to the fans as well, all that kind of stuff. And playing on a Monday with the start time of five past one in the afternoon is not doing that. No, no, I'll be at work. You'll probably be at work. Um, yeah, it just doesn't 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 really work in terms of um, I guess more more frequent cricket fans. Um, just just accessibility and that sort of thing. Um, I think part of it may be because you know all the kids are still on school holidays. Um, maybe trying to market it towards kids, like maybe you know you buy a ticket, your kid comes free or something like that. Um, so. Hopefully we get some good attendances on those games on the weekends because the Australian women's cricket team is incredible. And, you know, I, I can tell you for free, they're definitely well worth going to see. Oh, absolutely worth going to see. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, that's probably the case. You know, marketing during the school holidays. I think the series will all be done by the end of the school holidays as well, which is good. Uh, I think what Cricket Australia needed to be doing, though, was trying to build up this team as much as possible before the World Cup. You know, it's not a home World Cup this time. It's in South Africa. The time zone, as we said earlier, not very great, especially with T20 cricket with, you know, 2.30 a.m. starts for us. So, yeah, not ideal there. Uh, the squad, though, will go through that. Lanning, captain and back. Healy, uh, the vice captain for the World Cup, but she's not going to play uh, the Pakistan series. We'll get into that in a second. Darcy Brown, Ash Gardner, Kim Garth, Heather Graham, Grace Harris, Jess Johnson, Alana King, Tali McGrath, Beth Mooney, Elise Perry, Megan Shute, Annabelle Sutherland, and Georgia Wareham. Uh, some interesting names there. Georgia Wareham, probably the most interesting selection. Obviously, Alana King, the other leg spinner. But they went Wareham over Amanda Jane Wellington for reasons I'm not quite sure of. I think uh, Wellington's the better bowler. Yes. Um, I think part of it is Wellington is not hasn't played as much internationally yeah. as Wareham has. And Wareham's international record's pretty good. So I think they just, you know, Australian selectors, regardless of men's or women's, they're conservative and they made the conservative pick here. Um, that's fine. Um, I think Wareham will look at it as an opportunity to, to show that, that she should still be in that conversation because she is a very talented bowler. And, um, you know, I think any opportunity you get given where you're maybe a surprise selection and you do end up playing, um, it's quite important for you to try and have an impact. And um, that added motivation can be good. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what these South African pitches are like and whether Australia even needs two spinners. I know South Africa, uh, it does spin on occasion, right? Like, that's why they have Maharaj and Harmer uh, in that in that squad because occasionally you do need two spinners. Uh, it gets pretty dry, especially up in the mountainous areas of, of South Africa there. But I'd probably be going with the pace bowlers. You've got so many good pace bowlers there from Sutherland mm -hmm. to Perry to shoot. Uh, there's just so many options. Kim Garth, Heather Graham, it's just yeah, it, it doesn't end in the amount of pace bowlers you've got, and that's even without Darcy Brown. So, yes, uh, pace bowling would be the the way I'd go, and and Alana King would be the spinner that I'd be 
uh, that I'll be picking, and then you can probably get overs out of Jeff Johnson and Grace Harris as well if that's uh, if that's the way they want to go. Elisa Healy missing the Pakistan series, obviously a big out, but after picking up that injury in India, you probably don't want to risk further injuring that in a series that doesn't really mean anything against a team who's now behind Thailand in the T20 rankings. Um, you don't want to be risking one of your best players, most important players who stands up in World Cups in those big moments uh, when you've got someone as good as Beth Mooney with the gloves uh, also in the lineup. So you might as well just give the gloves to Mooney and then, you know, play another all-rounder in the middle somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I think it's even an opportunity to play an extended bowling lineup. Um, you know, you've got Sutherland there, like you mentioned. Um, Kim Garth has a really good record in um t20s um with her bowling so i think she she she's actually a big threat in terms of um maybe maybe being selected and um playing and then those in those games um yeah i think um this series will serve to be an exhibition of the australian women's team mm. and i hope that it gets enough viewership and enough attention that that it serves its purpose well yeah but i think that's Look, I don't know if it's going to get enough attention. Oh, admittedly, there's no like international men's cricket on the moment in Australia, and I think that'll probably help um, in terms of scheduling. That's good from Australia. I think they should have had other teams come out this summer though to only have six games for one of the best teams in the country, not just best cricket teams in the country, but best sporting teams in the country, probably the most dominant team in the world across the last five or ten years. To only have six games against Pakistan, well, all respect to Pakistan, but they're not the greatest. Uh, team in the world, that's for sure, uh, is is disappointing. I, I know we, we can't get England and India out every year, right? That's just not going to happen. But uh, New Zealand, maybe there's other countries out here that would have given Australia a little bit more of a run for their money than Pakistan. I'm already talking like Australia is going to win this series 6-0 because they probably are and then they're probably going to run through the World Cup without losing the game as well because they're just that good. I don't think there's any competition out there that can compete with Australia at the moment. England getting there. England have some very talented young players, and um, I think they're they're starting to put the pieces together as to maybe you know making a run at kind of what's been the juggernaut of women's cricket, Australia. Um, so I think there will be some intrigue in this this T Twenty World Cup. But look, I I agree with you on paper. <laughs> the um, Australian team is just too much quality. Um, I think India will make a good name of themselves. They've steadily been improving as well. Um, so I guess, and then, and then New Zealand's probably the next team there as well. So I guess those would probably be the top four. Um, I guess Australia are the most likely to win, but it's just interesting to think of who would be second, who would be third. Um, and I think those will have a lot of, um, a lot of interest, especially, you know, considering how the Commonwealth Games went. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the other thing that's in the background of this World Cup is the women's IPL is just around the corner. Some good performance in this World Cup could make you some some big dollars. I think the the latest reporting is the the max contracts there are going to be five hundred thousand US. That's bigger than pretty much any contract you're going to get in any sport around the world, to be honest. Uh, especially women's sport, that's that's big money and more than you're making probably playing for Australia. So uh, there's some some big money to be had if you perform well in the World Cup. There is, there is. It's um. Yeah, the the prospect of the women's IPL is um very exciting for women's cricket. Mm. Um, it's just you and I often worry, and I'd say probably rightfully so, um, of it taking away from red ball cricket. 
and we really want to see more women's red ball cricket i think that'd be great and i think women's test cricket that there's a market for it and i think it's it could be really good quality but you know go where the money is there's money in the ipl and um i won't begrudge anyone for um for for making that their priority yeah no absolutely not uh you've got to get paid at the end of the day that's for sure we'll move on to some other cricket news around the world to finish things off the South Africa T20 League is where we're going to start. Uh, I think the teams look good. I think there's some teams there that if they played in the IPL would give those teams a good run for their money. Uh, the TV product looks good. I think I've said this before, but I think cricket from South Africa, Australia and New Zealand uh, always looks the best on TV. It's, for some reason, I think it's, it's a little bit brighter than uh, the rest of the world, uh, especially the IPL you know, and the late night games or that kind of thing. And the fans seem to be having a good, good time. It's a real like party atmosphere. Uh, DJs, all that kind of thing. But the thing I really wanted to talk about was the rule changes that they're bringing to cricket. Uh, the first one being you're allowed to name 13 players at the toss and then you pick 11 after that. I think that's interesting. I'm not quite sure if I'm for that, but that allows you to pick a team for whether you're batting or bowling for first. The idea being that you get to pick essentially your best team no matter the conditions. At some point, that just becomes like, I don't know, why don't I just play on hard wicket if that's what you want to want to do, take all the conditions out of the game. Uh, the other one's a bonus point. If you achieve uh, the runs with a run rate of 1.25 times that of your opponent, that's phrased kind of awkwardly. It's essentially if you chase it down within 15 overs, that's how you get the bonus point. Um, and the other one is if you get a direct hit uh, and it deflects off the stumps, you can't, uh, there's no runs that are able to happen up for that. So what they're essentially trying to do is increase direct hits uh, and make fielding more of an uh, entertainment uh, bring a bit of entertainment value to fielding where it's, you know, probably the most boring aspect of the game, you know, just standing out in the in the field there and then throwing the ball in occasionally. If you're going for the stumps every time and you can manage to hit them eight out of ten times, um, you're, you're increasing the chances of a run out. Yeah, that's true. I mean, encouraging better fielding, I think, is good um, because I don't think fielding's declined, but I think it's just kind of stagnated and that there's 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 some some players who are good cricketers not necessarily good fielders and um that can really hurt a team in the long in the long run um especially you know if you're dropping catches you should be taking if you're missing potential runouts that you shouldn't be missing if your keeper fumbles um you know there's a few elements of it that can you know quite heavily influence the game so i think that's a good thing to encourage um the no runs after the direct hit feels odd um i don't really know I, I guess I guess it probably feels unfair if you do get a direct hit and then yeah. they're like, oh, cool, it flew off, off, off we go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's the added rule of you have to hold the ball and pick up the middle stump, <laughs> which True. is a bit funny. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not too against the rules. Um, I think the bonus point feels too much like the bash boost point, yeah. which didn't really add much to the tournament, but we'll see how they go with it. And um, that's kind of what these T20 tournaments are about experimenting with rules and seeing what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I think this tournament also has, it definitely has the capability of leaving the big bash behind. So uh, it, yeah, everything's, it looks really good. The players are getting paid really well, all that kind of thing. Even like domestic players in South Africa who weren't on massive money before, um, they're on really good money now. I think it's just going to improve South African cricket. Uh, unfortunately, probably not test cricket, but you know, their T20 and one day stuff is going to be very good going forward. They've already uncovered some more young players in addition to like Dewald Brevis and, and Tristan Stubbs, who, you know, were kind of known quantities, even though they're 18 and 19 years old. 
South Africa look very strong in, in white ball cricket. It's just a matter of getting them on the park now and, and making sure they're, they're getting the game time that you need for, you know, to be able to compete in those World Cups going forward. Yeah, yeah, no, you're exactly right. Right. And it's also a matter of, you know, you talk about those young players, um, if they're ready to be in international cricket and that sort of thing, yeah. and um, how to integrate them with the pieces that you already have. Um, you know, that's an ongoing issue for any kind of cricket team, any selection that you're going through. But yeah, the league is great for South African white ball cricket. And, you know, considering how it started, South Africa have potential to become a true T20 and maybe one day juggernauts um, if it keeps going like this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll finish off with the Rashid Khan news, uh, kind of the biggest fight going on at the moment, Rashid Khan and Cricket Australia. So Cricket Australia pulled out of a three ODI tour of Afghanistan, uh, probably not played in Afghanistan, obviously, but um, yeah, they pulled out of that citing, you know, the, well, human rights, essentially, uh, that women aren't able to be educated. Uh, there's also... You, not allowed to get healthcare, a bunch of that stuff in Afghanistan, which, you know, all makes sense. That stuff's horrific, no doubt. Uh, and then Rashid Khan kind of got on Twitter, put out a statement saying he'll consider reconsider uh, playing in the Big Bash going forward because of that stance. You know, he wants to play for Afghanistan, which, you know, I guess makes sense, right? I, I'd understand why he'd want to play for his national team. Uh, but with what's going on in Afghanistan, it's hard to justify, um, you know, playing against them. It just doesn't it doesn't really make sense, doesn't uh, pass the smell test there. So it kind of looks like Rashid Khan could be done with the Big Bash. Uh, is it worth losing him in order to stand up for probably what's correct? And most importantly, uh, yeah, what's what's right from a human rights perspective and in terms of the ICC, you're not meant to have, you know, your men's team's not allowed to play international cricket unless you've got an active women's team as well. And Afghanistan do not have that. They've never had it. They've kind of flaunted those rules for a long time. Uh, perhaps it's time for the ICC to step in and, and uh, make a change there. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, will Rashid Khan be missed in the Big Bash if he ultimately does pull out? Of course. He, he's, he's a great, great attraction. He's a very talented cricketer. Um, but is, is it right to be playing those series, you know, considering kind of how the women's games progressed and how regressive i suppose it is in afghanistan what standard does it set what does it say to young cricket fans about you know who you play and what the game stands for um you know it's 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 just an unfortunate situation ultimately because i understand rashi khan wanting to play wanting to represent his country and that sort of thing but i can also understand the australian cricket team not wanting to play human rights violators i'm not saying the 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 team are human rights violators, but it's just a matter of the nation that they represent. Unfortunately, have some have some issues, um, some issues that need to need to hopefully be resolved, um, soon enough. And um, yeah, until until that that political aspect has been you know tempered, then yeah, they probably shouldn't be international cricket played against Afghanistan. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty much right. Yeah, as you you rightly said, though it's not it's not the uh, Afghanistan players who are responsible for this, obviously. Uh, but unfortunately, you know they get punished for what the government does. That's how the world works, right? Uh, in the seventies, countries didn't play against South Africa. The players essentially got punished there. But that's how it works. Um, you don't get to represent your country if your country's doing the wrong thing, and that's what Afghanistan's doing. All makes complete sense to me. Uh, that 
Australia is pulled out of this. I'd also add though, it does make uh, it makes the gesture a little bit uh, worth a little bit less when Australia is pretty happy to pull out of literally every other tour that doesn't make the money. You know, they they don't play against Zimbabwe. Pulled out of plenty of Bangladesh tours. Even pulled out against uh, pulled out of a South Africa tour essentially because it doesn't make the money. They'll you know they always hide other reasons. Uh, I think here the other reasons are correct, um, but they're not always correct. And I think South Australia, uh, Australia loses a little bit of, uh, I don't know, a, a little bit of goodwill with the international cricket community by doing this kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, it doesn't feel as credible of a uh, decision, just in yeah. light of those other series that you mentioned. Um, but, you know, that doesn't detract from it being the right decision. Um, but you do need to acknowledge that there have been wrong decisions made before. And that's something that they need to work on. Yeah. I'd also be asking what's changed in the three months since the T20 World Cup, where they're happy to play Afghanistan, to now not be playing Afghanistan. What What's changed in that time? You know, the, the Taliban government's still been in charge that whole time. Uh, the Afghanistan players are all the same. The policies of the, that government have all been the same. And there's still been no women's team during that time. So is it is it just the convenience of the fact they were already in Australia? If that's the case, it, it's kind of not right as well. But, yeah, I, I support the move. I don't think it makes any sense to play cricket against Afghanistan uh, and sport against other countries that are, uh, you know, doing the same kind of human rights violations. Uh, go to football, as we've done a few times. Cristiano Ronaldo's just gone to Saudi Arabia. I'd suggest that's the same kind of thing. You can't be getting paid $300 million in essentially blood money. That's not okay. Um, and he should be rightly shunned for, for doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a football podcast, but yeah, the Ronaldo situation is um, at best uh, morally questionable. Yeah. <laughs> Far from ideal, I'd suggest. Yes. Um, but yeah, it happens. Um, in, in football, you know, they've been trying to, to sort of counter that. I mean, there was a World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. That wasn't great, but they've been banning Russia from international competition because of what's happened with the Ukraine, which makes some sense, but it's just, you know, you want a consistent decision-making and you yeah, want a consistent, it. you know, ethical decision-making from these international uh, sporting boards. Yeah, that's right. And if you look at human rights violations, Australia is also, uh, you know, what Australia's done to refugees and that kind of thing. We're not going to go too deep into it, but... The UN has also said Australia is committing human rights violations. Uh, India have done the same thing. Pakistan's done the same thing. It's, yeah, it's consistency. And overall, we're like, don't bring politics into sport. That's, you know, complete bullshit, really. Politics and sport have always been uh, intermixed. But that's where we'll finish it. That's enough. Otherwise, I'll keep going on rants, and that's not the podcast. <laughs> this isn't the podcast for that. Uh, once again, before we finish up, follow us on social media, at the Top Edge Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, hit up the inbox at topedgepodcast at gmail.com. Callum, where can people find you on social media? Yep, I'm on Twitter at Callum underscore Logie. Perfect, at Rory underscore Dennis for me. Make sure you leave a rating and review or the show, or rating or review, either way. Whatever you want to do, make sure you do it, though. Uh, That's where we'll leave it for the week, though, and we'll wrap things up. So we'll see you uh, next week.